Good morning. Yeah, we will be in Matthew 14 this morning. Um, and we're just going to narrow and focus in on one part of this chapter. And it's when Peter walks on water. Matthew 14, verses 28 through 33. And if you would, um, if you've got that in your Bible, um, would you stand with me to honor God's Word? Um, before COVID, we would have a time of where we would um, set God's Word aside, but um, it's hard to do that now. So this is just a way to do that. This is the unerrant word of the Lord, and it reads as follows. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, Save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, we ask this morning that you would um, take your word and write it on our hearts, and we may live in light of it, um, and we may be set free. And when we cry out, Lord, save me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Yeah, so, so this account, um, it occurs right after Jesus comes out to them walking on the water. Um, and that's in Matthew, Mark, and John. But Mark and John never mention the part of Peter going out to walk on the water. The thing Mark says is... Um, the disciples didn't really recognize who Jesus was because their hearts were hardened because they didn't remember the loaves. Well, what, what Mark means is that Jesus is the bread of life and that just as Jesus had met the needs after he had fed the 5,000 of everyone there, they ate and they were satisfied, Jesus in the same way will nurture and satisfy your soul. And the disciples did not understand that. So Mark said their hearts were hardened. They didn't see the full picture of Jesus. But John, what does John say? John includes the stories as one of the seven signs. And John's point is that Jesus alone can still the storm. And he's the one who brings safety to those who need to reach their destination. Well, the destination in that is heaven. Only Jesus can bring you safely into the promised land. So if you were to look at that and then and look at Matthew, you'd say, okay, hold on. Is Matthew contradicting then? Because um, Mark said their hearts were hard. But the point that Matthew is making is that you don't need to know a whole lot of things to worship Jesus. You just need to know one or two things and hold them with conviction. Like, if you want to get in on this Jesus... From the greatest to the least of anyone in here, Jesus counts you worthy. Like, if you're a human made in the image of God, like, Jesus welcomes you into his family when you repent. So, in this passage, um, the theologians are kind of torn 
and they say, should we imitate what Peter is doing or should we not? Is Peter being overzealous? Is Peter just like jumping out of the boat, chomping at the bit? Or is Peter really wanting to imitate Jesus? And as you can tell like by the way I put that, like I, I think we should, we should imitate Peter as Peter imitates Jesus. And which is good because Paul tells us to imitate Paul as Paul imitates Jesus. And that's good for your life too, just like for free. Like find someone who's a little further along and it will help you imitate Jesus more. But here's the reason why I think we should imitate Peter. And it, it harkens back to Jonah. And so let me, let me put these two stories side by side for you together. Jonah. Jonah's called by God, and Jonah gets in a boat to flee the presence of God. Peter. Peter's called by God, and Peter gets out of a boat to come closer to the presence of God. Jonah gets thrown out of the boat in the middle of the storm. Peter gets brought back into the boat from the storm. Jonah spends three days in the belly of a big fish, which recently someone shared on Facebook that someone was in a belly of a fish or something. I don't know if that's true, but it would then, like, say the word is true. Peter. So for Peter, Jesus spends three days in a grave and purchases Peter's victory. So what I'm trying to say is that Peter is a greater prophet than Jonah. Why? Jesus. Because Peter has faith in Jesus. So, it leads us to, we can jump on in, walking on water for worship. So the first point I have here is that Jesus is in control, so Peter takes the initiative. So here comes Jesus, and I have this like picture in my mind where Jesus is like, you know, just like walking on water, like um, in the Olympics, you know, how the, the walking, like he's, he is like treading this thing because, because the boat's being thrown side to side and they're not getting anywhere. So Jesus is doing some serious walking here, some power walking. So he's walking on the water. So that lets us know Jesus is in control. So Peter takes the initiative. Listen to verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, I like that, if it is you. Like, can you sympathize with that? Like, Lord, I'm not really sure what you're doing in my life right now. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. This is bold. It's what what I call a humble backbone. And I pray that, that men and women would, by the Holy Spirit this morning, get a humble backbone like Peter. It's, it's a humble backbone because it's a backbone that's relying not on himself, it's relying on Jesus. And I'm going to quote William Carey. Um, this passage kind of just like, lines up really well with, with um, William Carey. He's the father of mo- modern missions. Um, he's from England. He was an old English Baptist pastor in the 1700s. He was the first guy to take the gospel to India. And he had a really hard life. 
much like every follower of Jesus. But, so back in the 17, oh, I gotta say the quote. William Carey said, expect great things, attempt great things. Meaning, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So explaining that situation a little bit, it was at a meeting of Baptist leaders in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister, William Carey, stood up to argue for the value of overseas missions, and he was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, young man, sit down, you're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you and me. And it's true, our God is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. But our God has one means of working on this earth, and that's through the church. He has one plan, and he has no plan B. Like all those who are called according to Jesus, you are sent. This is Discipleship 101. And Discipleship 101 is like, you don't need a sign to tell your neighbor that Jesus loves them. I, uh, in the back of my Bible, if you were, remember, we got this card, I don't know, I think Anthony, did you, when Anthony was, Gospel Conversation Starters, um, I don't know, maybe we'll post them to Facebook later. What do you believe about God? How can I pray for you? What is your background with God and or church? Do you believe that you are near or far from God? Can I share with you something that changed my life? Like a sign that you believe that Jesus is Lord is that you obey him. Like you, you don't need a sign like, do I feel called to tell my coworkers that, that Jesus is, is like really my rock of my life, like that I would be thrown all over like the Peter, or not Peter, but this boat in the sea, if not for having the rock of Jesus in my life. And as we do that, like, I kind of imagine Peter like just stumbling forward on this, and we would stumble forward like Peter. So my question for you in the application of this here is like, where can you take initiative in your life? Where can you take initiative in the lives of others around you? Where can you take initiative in your church? Where can you take initiative in your family? And kind of like I had mentioned before, like, sometimes if you're wanting to grow, like, sometimes you just take initiative and, and come alongside, alongside somebody a little older than you and saying, hey, can you help me follow Jesus? People usually don't turn that down, by the way. So what, what's crazy, though, that I had mentioned right before is that Peter is not even sure this is Jesus. In the verse before, verse 27, Pete, uh, Jesus has told them, Take heart, it is I. Which could also be translated, Take heart, I am. Which harkens back to Exodus and the burning bush, and, and Moses asked God his name. He says, I am 
who I am. He is the great I am, and that is his name. So what's great about Peter being so vulnerable here is like, again, like you don't have to have everything figured out to follow Jesus. You don't have to have everything figured out to take initiative. You just have to know a couple things. That God can do the impossible. And he really is who he says he is. So then Peter asks God to do the impossible. Peter grows the humble backbone. And Peter understands one thing. If Jesus commands it, it happens. Everything in the world obeys Jesus, except for you and me. I like the way Sally, Sally Lloyd-Jones put it. Um, we, were, we were reading in the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, the, the story where Jesus fell asleep on the water. And Jesus woke, you know, the disciples are freaking out, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, Jesus, save us. Like, we don't know what's going on. And Jesus stills the water with one word. And Sally said, like, the same, the, the waters recognized his voice because that was the voice that spoke the waters into existence. Like, the, the mountains obey God. The waters obey God. Everything obeys God. Matthew is is putting on full display the full authority of Jesus here. Because when you believe the authority of Jesus, it will then change the way you live. Which brings us to our second point. Jesus is in control, so Jesus hears. Or I could put it a different way. Jesus honors Peter's prayer, Peter's request here. Command me to come out on the water. Like, I can't help but think, like, the, the other guys, the other 11 sitting in the water are like, are you kidding me, Peter? And then Jesus, with one word, he tells the water to do what the water cannot do. He tells Peter to do what Peter cannot do. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Again, and that's our direction, church. Like we, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do great things for God, like it, it is in the direction of Jesus. It's not to make much of me, not to make much of you. Um, it is to build us up, but and not to build our name up, and really, like. We say this quite a bit here, like we're not trying to build up the name of this church. And we're trying to make much of, of Jesus with our lives together and press forward. So, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And I don't want to like clobber somebody over the head with this, but like, notice that, that Peter's fear here is actually disobedience. Because when Jesus showed up on the scene, he said, take heart, it is I, 
Do not be afraid. I like the way D.A. Carson puts it. This helps both Peter and the reader recognize that doubts and fears quickly disappear before a strict inquiry into their cause. Like, why? Why is Peter? Like, you're walking on the water. And if God's brought you to this, Peter, like, he's just going to let you down now? Like, sure, sure, sure. Like, I, I would, like, Peter, I would probably, like, fall right down. But Peter looks and he's like, oh, man, what have I got myself into? And I think one of the most comforting things about this is, like, sometimes, like, when we find ourselves, when faith is hard, um, when the situations around us are hard in life, is that Jesus has led us there. And if you look back to the beginning of this, in verse 22, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowds. Like, Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus set this whole thing up. And it, it actually, like, speaking on the disobedience of Peter's part, like, the real question here is, like, Peter, who... Who do you think you are? Like if Jesus tells you not to be afraid, be afraid, like Peter. Your fear is a smack in the face, Peter, to the God who is pulling you out here, who is holding you up. And it really has no need here. But Peter gets it right again. So I think Peter got it right when he, he wanted to go out and be with Jesus. And I think Peter gets it right again when Peter finds himself in this situation where he's like, crap, I'm sinking. Peter, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And I like the way theologian Michael Wilkins put it. He said, the key element is keeping his eyes firmly focused on Jesus instead of the danger of the windswept sea. Jesus thus directs Peter to understand more clearly who he is and then act upon it. So faith is not like a commodity in which Peter needs more. Rather, faith is consistent trust in Jesus to accomplish what Peter is called to do. Therefore, man, when we come upon deep waters in your life, stop trying to muster up more faith. Just go back to simple, childlike, faithful obedience. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and if you stumble, call out to Jesus. And, and oftentimes, I think this is good. Um, this is a, a main point here, um, that, that as the storms come in life, 
that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Like that, that's how we're going to make it in the Christian life. Um, but I don't think this is the main point of this passage. I think the main point of this passage is that it all leads to the worship of the king. Like, we'll get to that later. So, here, so leading us to our third point, Jesus is in control, so Jesus is near. And the good thing about Jesus being near is that he can sustain. So if there was something, like it, as we read through Matthew, Peter over and over again is like stepping on his toes, putting his foot in his mouth. And if there was something that, that Peter could do to take himself out of Jesus' hand, like Peter would do it. Like Peter, if you remember, he's the one that denied Jesus three times, like right after he said, Lord, I would never deny you. And then the, the crow strikes, and he's like, ah, crap. So because Jesus is near, Jesus can sustain. And here's a difference I want to highlight um, in our parenting styles rather than God's parenting style. So as our children mature, we want them to not have to rely on us. But as you mature in your faith, God bids, you, God bids you to always rely on him. So Jesus can guarantee Peter's faith will persevere because his faith is reliant on Jesus. Peter's faith is not reliant on how much of the faith there is. Peter's faith is reliant on Jesus. So if you, if you look at this and, and he says, oh, you have little faith, like, it's, it's not that he needs more faith. It's that he needs consistent faith. So if I just would describe it like a linear um, timeline. So if we, we were to break it up, here Peter exercises faith. He gets out of the water, trusts Jesus, and then all of a sudden he doesn't exercise faith. He sees the water, and everything going on around him is like, oh, no. And then all of a sudden that draws him then again to exercise faith again, Lord, save me. And what Jesus is saying is like, just exercise it the whole time, bro. Like, because Peter's faith is not dependent upon how much of the faith that there is in Peter. Peter's faith is dependent on the object, Jesus. So Jesus can guarantee that he's not going to lose you. Jesus. So I can say this morning, not based on like anything that, that I know, I can say this morning on the word of God, standing on it, that if you or anyone is in deep waters and faith is hard, regardless of how you got there, whether it be you were being obedient like Peter or you were being disobedient like Jonah, like, if, if faith is hard, look to Jesus. And by trusting in Jesus' perfect life of obedience, his sacrificial death on your behalf, and his life-giving resurrection, which frees you from the bondage of slavery to sin, Jesus then can guarantee you that he is with you. He is near and he bids you to continuously rely on him at all times. 
And that is something like we can rejoice in this morning. Man, that's really good news. Um, because it, it's not dependent upon how much faith you have. It's dependent upon the, the one whom you have faith in. And it's really interesting here. Um, really interesting. Peter, like, starts to lose his faith. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Like, how far away was Peter? That's not very far. Why? Because Jesus is near. And if Jesus is near, Jesus can sustain Peter. And Jesus, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? This is the second time in Matthew that, that the disciples have failed the test, or at least one disciple this time. Um, he, he, man, he almost passed. But, but here we see a little thing about faith. Faith is, despite my uncertainty, I trust in Jesus. Despite my uncertainty about whatever you got going on, life, kids, job, that's one of the things I like about the Word of God is because it always meets us where we are. And it can meet every person in here, though I, I can't name everything that we got going on. But I can tell you one thing about faith that's revealed here. It's despite the uncertainty that you have going on in your life, if you trust in Jesus, like that, that's the cure to doubt. That's the cure to uncertainty. That's the cure to fear. You see, uncertainty is not the enemy of faith. The fear is in this passage. Because Peter was a bit uncertain. Lord, if it is you, command me. And then when Peter started to sink, it was because he was afraid. So again, faith is the answer to fear. Therefore, it is the answer to doubt. And therefore, the strength for all uncertainty. So Jesus' rebuke of Peter is really firm here. I'm not sure it's like PC, you know, like, your words are violent. Sorry. Like, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Like, that's a strong rebuke. But make no mistake, Jesus' countenance towards Peter in this passage never changed. His words were pretty strong. And what that means is our doubts need a really firm response. There was a, about, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago, when uh, I was just learning, we inherited a boat and we were uh, trying to dock up, but we, you, it's one of those boats that you got to drive. It's a little bitty pontoon. You got to drive it from the back. And it's really hard to dock that way. I didn't know. Um, it really hurts your shoulder. But as we were trying to dock on like our fifth attempt, um, 
here comes Brooks, like, got his jacket on, walking around, and uh, he grabs onto the side of the boat, and he looks at me, and I'm like, don't you think about it. And he kind of like, did, and he did it again. And then like, even though he couldn't have made it over, he like try, starts to lift his leg, like he's going to somehow climb over the side of the boat. And make no mistake, my love for Brooks in that moment never changed. But my words got really loud. My words got really forceful. And that little boy got picked up by the back of his jacket. Because, man, in the same way, like our doubts need a firm response. Like how dare those doubts come against the authority of Jesus? Like, you need to tell those doubts, you need to tell that fear, like who's boss? And that's faith. Like it. It's just simple, childlike faith. In verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So everyone in the boat saw this. And everyone in the boat then knew that the wind that had frightened Peter had been under Jesus' control the whole time. And this is kind of like an old churchy saying, but like it's just so daggum true. Like we may think that Jesus is late, but Jesus is always on time, man. Like, like we may doubt Jesus' control, but like we need to doubt that doubt. Which leads us to our fourth point. Jesus is in control, so the walk over deep water is meant to lead to deeper worship. Like if you want to know Jesus more, go and take the initiative. If you want to know Jesus more, like call out to him. He is near and he hears. And the craziest thing, like, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Clearly we know from Mark's passage that they didn't know the whole thing about those words, Son of God. The disciples did not know. They were more so just stumbling upon it. They were learning. It's kind of like you and me. Like, we, we learn things about Jesus. We're like, oh, I did not know that. I did not know that before. Or maybe you, you hear something in a new way and you kind of grow a little deeper. But all that's needed to worship Jesus with your life is truth and standing in awe in front of him. Like that's, Matthew's making it clear, like it's not that hard. I love in the book of Deuteronomy, um, the Lord says to his people, he says, I'm going to give you this law, and I want you to know it's not that hard for you. But like, no one can keep it. So just in the same way, like the answer to the people 
who couldn't keep the law was Jesus. And in the same way for us, the answer for when we start to drift is faith in Jesus. And the goal of your life, the goal of your life is the worship of God in all aspects of your life. Not yet, of course, singing, but the goal of your life in all aspects is the worship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The worship of Christ is the worship of the Trinity. And any time that... Um, anyone in the Bible gets a view behind the closed doors of where God is in the throne room, here's what they hear. Isaiah 6, 3, the one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Revelation, John heard this, Chapter 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So it's not just worship in a song, but worship in our marriages, in our families, in our work, in our minds, in our sexuality, in our hobbies. In every daggum part of my life and your life, it's not easy. But for all who have faith in this Jesus, thank you. It's our hope, it's our righteousness, it's the point of our lives. And um, I want to finish today, and I promise this won't be like one of those, like, I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish, like, this is it. Um, like, if you've, if you've never cried out, Lord, save me, like, I want to invite you to. Or, like, maybe you're kind of doubting, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I've, like, turned over full authority to Jesus I, got, I want to invite you to. It's the difference between Jonah and Peter. It's just Jesus. It's just Peter putting his faith in Jesus. So I'll pray and ask the band to come back up and they'll lead us in, in worship. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your son, that you so loved us that you gave us your son. Man. I ask that you would instill um, in us faith in this Jesus, the son of God, who was and is and is to come. I ask that we would know in our hearts that Jesus, you are near, Jesus, that you hear. Man, I ask that you would just give humble backbones today. Give humble backbones that say, you know what, this is going to be messy. I might end up with some bruises. Um, but Jesus is worth it. And uh, yeah, Father, 
I ask that you glorify yourself in, in the worship of our lives. Um, we know this is, this is all for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.